Welcome to the Moon Over the Trees Music and Theater Productions podcast, bringing people together through collaboration, creativity, and community all through the arts. Thank you for joining us this week. I'm your host, Maureen Buscarino, and I hope to inspire you and to help you discover amazing music and artists from around the world. I can't wait to introduce you to today's guest. Ever since I first saw Grania Hambly perform at the Somerset Folk Harp Festival, I've been inspired. No other performer on the harp influenced me as much as Grania did early on in my harp journey. I first heard her perform at the Somerset Folk Harp Festival and was wowed at what the harp could sound like. The jigs and reels just fly from her fingers. She makes it look and sound so effortless. It's gorgeous to hear. Here's a little clip from the first album of hers that I ever purchased, Between the Showers, and I've bought it so many times for friends and family over the years. It's still one of my favorites. Here's a bit of the reel, The Glass of Beer. Um, I love playing this tune um, at the traditional Irish music sessions that I'm involved with also. So um, enjoy. Thank you so much for taking the time out to to meet with me today. Um, so I just want you to know that this part of the podcast that I'm working on is focused really on the Somerset Folk Harp Festival. So um, I'm interviewing people who have been at the festival for a while. So um, I'd love to talk to you about your history with the festival and the whole community feel. And I have a few other questions related to it also. Um, so yeah, if you just like, how did you get involved with, with, uh, the festival? So my first performance at Somerset was, um, in 2002 when it was still, um, in actually in Somerset, New Jersey and Jerry Cervantes was running the festival at the time and Kathy was in her other role as, um, stage manager at the time. So she's a very hard taskmaster as well. So <laughs> I think I've been there every year or I think most years anyway since then. So. True. Yeah, we're coming up on the 20th anniversary. So, um, yeah, I remember seeing you when you were at the festival and when it was in Somerset, New Jersey, too. So, yeah. yeah. So, Kathy uh, wanted me to ask you if you could comment on being able to leverage social media and video conferencing to bridge the miles uh, to be all over the world and in particular at Somerset. Well, so I'm useless at social media and all that kind of thing. So I've, I've been trying to get better at it now at the moment since it's kind of our only way really of communicating with people. Um, and, you know, in, in place of actual live concerts, we've been kind of trying to do some online concerts and so on. And it's kind of a learning curve for me because I, I usually have been sort of 
a little bit lazy about that side of things but I think it's fantastic that we have the technology now um, that we are able to do so much like I've moved all my teaching online and um, I think Facebook and all those types of things is just such a great way to be able to keep in touch with people and so many people are doing like little live performances and so on so it's great that um, then we're going to be able to have summer set online I mean I think I, I never imagined actually doing that, but at the same time, I think it's going to be fantastic. So um, it's great that we have all the technology and everything there nowadays to make that possible. Do you want to learn some new traditional Irish and Scottish tunes from the comfort of your home? Well, this year, the Harper's Escape is moving to Somerset Online and will be conducted live via Zoom and recorded so that after the escape, you'll be able to refer back to the video versions of the workshops until December 31st. I'll have links to this in the episode notes, but you'll get a chance to learn traditional Irish and Scottish tunes by ear from some of the most respected harp instructors from around the world. Grania Hambly will be one of them. So you'll be doing the Harper's Escape live um, interactively from Zoom this year. So how does that change the escape? Logistically, it changes it because obviously we're not actually all going to be there together. And one of the elements of the escape that's always made it so enjoyable is the sort of social interaction. But I think we're going to try and hopefully make it possible so that we can still have that interaction, even though we're not physically in the same room, that we'll still actually be there with all our you know, colleagues and comrades because um, the escape in particular, like long before it was attached to Somerset, um, it existed, you know, on its own. And um, so many people have been there a lot of times. So um, just to see those familiar faces, I think, would be a great um, boost to everyone at, at this time. And, um, you know, I think doing it online definitely could be different. But on the other hand, you know, I think it's true for all the workshops. You know, sometimes people get frustrated if the person beside them is playing a wrong note and they don't know if it's them or the person beside them and so on. So um, I think at least you'll know, like it, people will be able to hear the teacher probably better than normally and they'll be able to, you know, really focus in on what they're doing themselves. And then it's possible through Zoom and all these fantastic technologies um, to have the interaction so that people can, you know, um, ask questions. I discovered through my own students, somebody kept like putting on this little blue sign to raise their hand, which I had no idea how to do that. And now I've discovered, you know, how to turn it on and turn it off and so on, you know. So um, there are a lot of um, ways that people can still have the same interaction. Well, not the same, but a different type of interaction that hopefully will be, um, you know, <laughs> certainly a, a good substitute so um i suppose the biggest challenge for us would be the, the wi-fi holding up and myself and billy can't be you know stealing one another's wi-fi signals so we have to change the scheduling a little bit but hopefully it'll still have the same end results actually one thing i, I feel like always the harper's escape has had this element where um or at least not in the very early years but from once kathy realized how much better it was where people actually had a chance to like listen to the piece beforehand and so on um where they'd be sent out a recording in the weeks before the festival and then be able to listen to it and, and then before actually trying to learn it um but that didn't exist for the other workshops up until now but i think that this new version where it's pre-recorded will make learning easier for everybody in all the workshops because you won't be in the situation where um you just turn up on the day and you're trying to learn a piece that you've never heard before you'll have a chance to actually listen to it and then um be familiar with it which is certainly for learning by ear that's the ideal scenario is to 
listen to the tune lots of times first. So I think it's kind of, um, it, it, that'd be a positive in all the workshops. Oh, absolutely. And then that people can go to all the workshops that they've wanted to be going to that so there's yeah. no you know, conflict it's true anymore. because often I myself, I'd be like, oh, I really wish I could listen to such and such person's workshop. And like, oh, they're all on at the same time or, you know, so exactly. I think that's, that's probably one of the top complaints, which is a very good complaint to have um, over the years of people is that, oh, I, I want to get to so many more workshops and I just can't do it. So I think that this is a great opportunity for people to, to listen to every workshop. And uh, it's funny, I was just thinking the other day, like every time that the venue has changed to somewhere new, I always think beforehand, oh, well, it just can't possibly be as good as, you know, when I was in Somerset or when I was in the Hilton or whatever. And every time it's actually better. So um, I, I wouldn't be surprised at all if it's the same. Not just going to be better, but certainly equally good and um, probably better in a different way, you know. Oh, sure. And now then that it's moved to the virtual world. And, and we could use this going forward when, you know, we're back in you know, in the Sheridan too. So this will be just a nice addition to, you know, the learning and sharing all this beautiful music. And so people can get to know all these artists, you know, and yourself too, from, you know, all around the world. So one of my favorite albums of yours is Between the Showers. It's one of those albums that I wind up buying for all my friends. So when they want to know what um, the heart music, you know, Irish heart music is, and then they're always wowed by you're playing and um, especially your the dance tunes that you, you choose and it's just, uh, you know, so uplifting and so much energy and just beauty in how you play uh, that and your arrangements as well. So I know, I know you've influenced so many harpists, um, Kathy included, I'm sure. And I know that they love your arrangements. So I guess I just wanted to Maybe like talk to you about um, how you do your research on on the tunes, like um, when you're doing all your research, maybe with the Bunting Collection or O'Carolyn pieces. Like, what inspires you, or why do you choose t- certain tunes over others? Or um, yeah, it's kind of a mixture. Like at, at times, like certainly when I was preparing a CD or whatever, um, I would have gone through the Bunting Collection. I'd just be searching through and playing the tunes and. Um, sometimes I'd be drawn by a title and then I'd play it and I'd be like mm, it's a great title, maybe not such a great tune or other times I'd just see something that looked interesting and, and try it out um, a lot of the fun about both Carol and Anne's stuff from the Bunting Collection is that um, they're, they're not really prescriptive in how you play them, you can really make your own interpretation which I kind of enjoy and I have like, if people saw my book of Carol and tunes, I have all these little sticky notes kind of um, poking out all through it where I have like tunes that I like and maybe um, I liked them at one point and then I'll come back and revisit them. Like for example, one of the tunes I taught um, from my workshop that I recorded there, Planks to Sweeney, I've really liked that tune for years. I have a little note on it for a long time, but I never actually did anything with it. And then I was searching for an interesting tune to teach and I was like, oh, you know, I'll, I'll do that one now. So um, sometimes as well then, like I'd be searching with a very particular type of tune in mind. Like um, I know I remember when I was putting that between the showers together, the record company that released it originally was called Shamrock Records. It was an Austrian company and they had a policy where every CD had to be 60 minutes. And I had about like, you know, 45 or 50 minutes. They were like, no, you need to find a few more tracks. And so I went back and started searching through the Bunting collection and I came across Soft Mild Morning, which I just 
I was drawn by the title originally. I thought, oh, that's you know, a really nice image. And then I started to play it and it actually ended up becoming one of my favorite pieces. So um, I suppose you just kind of, different tunes just jump out at you sometimes um, for different reasons. But with the dance tunes, often like if I hear a tune in the session or something like that, I'd be making a note of the name, like I must get back and learn that one. And suppose that's in theory the upside of being at home here now is that one should have plenty of time to be working on new material um it's not quite working out like that but I, I think in theory it seems like you could spend a lot of time practicing and um, just you know having fun with tunes like that so when I was at Queen's University Belfast I did a master's in musicology there and my research topic was the folk music collections of the 18th century but um, ironically even though the bunting manuscripts were there I actually didn't have anything like I didn't actually see the manuscripts and um, what I was writing about was more like well, why did all of this happen and why did they suddenly become so interested in harp music? So the focus wasn't really on the music, which at the time it was very interesting. But looking back, I was like, oh, I wish I had um, had a chance more to delve into the Bunting manuscripts. Um, and a couple of years ago on the harp tour of Ireland with Cathy, that was that highlighted the whole tour for me, was actually getting to see the manuscript collection, um, which even though like I had been at Queen's and everything I had just never seen. So it's not that easy. Like you think, oh, it's there, but um, it's, it's not like something you can just walk in and look at. So um, yeah, so I, I was more researching the background rather than the music. But sometimes I tell my students this story and they, I can see them just looking at me like, you know, you didn't have much of a life but um for my 21st birthday the present that my parents gave me was actually um a book one of edward bunting's um original publications and i this is just the best present ever i was so excited and i still like i have it through there and i actually ended up then getting a second volume as well but um i just so fascinated with um the collections and the history and all that kind of thing even though it wasn't necessarily my exact area of study. It was just something I've really been interested in. So for people who aren't familiar, who was Edward Bunting? So Edward Bunting was, um, uh, well, basically he was a church organist and a music student and kind of apparently really a, a bit of a child prodigy as well, because at 19 years old, he was the organist for one of the big cathedrals in Northern Ireland. And when the Belfast Harp Festival was being organized in 1792, it was organized by a man called James MacDonald. Basically, there was a whole political kind of background to it, but they kind of realized that the harp tradition was dying out and they organized this festival to try and preserve it. And so um, Edward Bunting was invited to come and write down the music of the harpers. And I often kind of feel... I kind of feel for him in a way because he was coming from a totally different tradition and he was brought to the, or invited to the festival. He had to write down this music by harp players that he wasn't familiar with this type of music at all. And a lot of them only spoke Irish and Bunting spoke English. So he was really kind of thrown in at the deep end, but it was fantastic because he then ended up becoming so interested in the harp music that he also traveled around Ireland and including to County Mayo and different places. Um, collecting music from harpers and singers and pipers and um, any, basically all types of music and published three collections and they're one of the big sources that we have today of um, the old harp music and like I think his published collections only forms a fraction of the music that he collected and a lot more of it is in the manuscript collection at Queen's University Belfast which also some of it is available online as well you can 
see the images there. And that's just the melodies uh, that he collected, right? He, yes. There's no in his publications, he actually arranged the melodies for piano. So that's his interpretation or his kind of version. So when I'm taking tunes from that collection, I often I, I usually kind of look at what he wrote in the bass, but I, I don't kind of take too much notice of it um, because that was arranged for a very specific kind of audience, um, which were not the harp players themselves. Um, in the manuscript collection, you can see, like in his notebooks, it really is just melody, and you can even see tunes um, where he's just written literally the dots, not even the like any indication of rhythm or anything like that, just dots. And then you'll see the next version where he's marked in the rhythm. And then finally, the kind of fair copy or the sort of arrangement that before was published. So you can kind of follow his progress through the different stages. So when you're taking these tunes, how do you um, think about the arranging since we don't really know exactly how they sounded? Well, for me, see, I suppose like you have a lot of people who play, um, say, the early Irish harp or the wire strung harp, and they typically are very focused on um, arranging the pieces as they would have been played, which is totally understandable. If you're playing a kind of period instrument, then of course, then it's appropriate to play it in that style. I kind of feel that like the harp that I'm playing, um, which this particular harp is a beautiful harp made by Larry Fisher from Winnipeg, um, but it has carbon strings. So it, it doesn't have the same sound or the same um, style of playing at all as the harps that would have been played in Bunting's time. So I feel quite free in interpreting the tunes. Um, also partly because in the Irish tradition, like, tunes that have survived over say 200 years they've been changing all the time so they keep evolving and so i feel like when i take tunes from the bunting collection or tunes by carolyn that i want to make them kind of come alive for you know audiences today so i'm not really too um focused on trying to recreate how they might have been played at the time like some things now like in Bunting's collection, like he often changed the key of some of the tunes, like a lot of minor pieces or modal pieces that would be played in Irish music. Bunting was inclined to kind of add the sharpened seventh, which doesn't really exist in the tradition. So I would, you know, take that out. So to some extent, I want to play them like melodically. I'd like to play them how they might have been played. But in the arrangement, I feel quite free about um I, I mean, you have, to have ideas like the use of drones and picking up on little motifs from the melody. Then after that, like, I end up, I want to do something that is fun for me to play and that I like the sound of. So, um, like, I wouldn't now be doing a lot of syncopation or stuff like that typically, but I, I wouldn't um, feel too restricted. I just kind of see what I like the sound of. All right. Um, and then with O'Carolyn... With, with his pieces and your interpretation of, of his work, since he was so um, closely linked with a lot of the classical music because of the popularity of the piano um, then in some of his arrangements. Um, how does that, does that change how you interpret O'Carolyn's pieces at all? Or do you? Oh, yeah. I mean, I would definitely do a lot more kind of, um, I suppose, a busy type of compliment, not like overly, I suppose, but yeah, like typically if I'm arranging dance tunes, I'd be focused on really like a, often you'd have like a drone and then kind of single notes and then leading to some syncopation and so on. But with Carolyn, I think um, you need to follow the, the melody very closely and you might do more like little runs in the left hand and little kind of um, figures like that that you wouldn't have necessarily as much in the dance tunes. 
kind of linking in with his Baroque influence. And I, I talk a lot about that in my workshop on Carolyn. So for anyone not familiar with O'Carolyn, could you give us a little background on him? Sure. So Turlock O'Carolyn is probably, or actually almost certainly, Ireland's best known harper composer. But a lot of people have heard the name and they don't necessarily know beyond that. So he was born in 1670. So this is the 350th anniversary of his birth. And when he was a teenager, he went blind because of smallpox. And he was very lucky that the local kind of noblewoman who his father was working as a blacksmith on her property, um, she arranged for Carolyn to learn the harp and then later provided him with a horse and arranged for someone to be his guide. And he became like basically a wandering musician. And this was kind of a, a tradition at the time where harpers would travel around the country visiting the wealthy landlords. And in return for their hospitality, they would... Um, entertain them with music, teach the children of the house, and most importantly for us, especially with Carolyn, they would often compose tunes in their honour. So over 200 melodies have survived of Carolyn's, um, named after, mostly named after his various patrons. And a lot of them would have originally had lyrics in Irish as well, but they're not, wouldn't be that typical to hear them being sung nowadays. Maybe just a few of them, but mostly they're played as instrumental pieces. Going from there, I just, I want to know how you became inspired to play the harp. Like, how did that, <laughs> how did that happen? <laughs> it's so funny because this is probably the most thing that people always want to know. And then I feel when I answer it, it's just like not the answer that people are hoping for at all because I actually didn't want to play the harp at all. And when I was a teenager, I was going on 15, my younger sister, who was seven at the time, saw a harp in a shop window. We were at the Willie Cancer Week in County Clare and she started to pester my parents as only a seven-year-old can that she wanted to learn the harp. So just completely by chance, also at the festival, there was like a kind of a, a, a table set out with brochures for every other festival you could think of. My father happened to spot one um, of, for a festival run by Janet Harbison, which was up in Glencullum Kill in County Donegal. And that was taking place a few weeks later and on it, it said, you know, come and try out, like rent a harp for the week and this kind of thing. So my father, fair play to him, he um, booked us in to go to this festival. And like when I found out and then my other, my next middle sister was like 13 and the two of us, like we complained the whole way to Donegal and we were driving, we had a caravan, we we're towing the caravan and the roads were getting more and more narrow and just we were like, where are we going? Why do we have to do this? Who wants to play the harp? And the, uh, the other thing that people find hard to believe is, well, it wasn't that I particularly didn't want to play the harp, but I had never heard a harp or seen a harp. So I just, you know, didn't know anything about it. So I was playing concertina and piano on that at the time. But we arrived late, of course, after driving all the way from Mayo and with the caravan and everything. And we're late the first morning. We walked into a room and there were probably about 40 people, children, adults, all ages in the middle of learning Gary Owen, which is a march, I never forget it. And Janet was like, oh yes, that's your harps over there, kind of thing. We just sat down and like literally within five minutes, I was like, this is the most amazing thing ever, you know? Mm. So at the end of the week, we bought a harp and um, the rest is history then. But it's like, it's not, it was, oh, do you, must, do you always dream of playing the harp? And I'm like, no, I'm afraid not. But... To be fair, the second I did actually hear it or see a harp, then I did um, kind of become hooked on it. So. 
That's a magical story, you know. I mean, um, but how long did you study with Janet? Well, so I started, as I said, when I was like almost 15. And um, so Mayo, obviously, is in the West of Ireland. And Belfast, which is where Janet lived at the time, was about a five-hour drive away. So um, lucky enough, at the time, Janet was running um, like workshops every month. So sometimes they were in Dublin, sometimes in Monaghan, sometimes in Donegal. And so every month we would go to these workshops. And um, I have to say the best incentive for to practice a lot and to make very good quick progress was being in a class with all these little kids and then seeing everyone else who are my you know peers all doing the advanced stuff I was like I'm going to get into that class next time you know so um so we went to these workshops and then when I went to university later um obviously that was also in Belfast and Janet was there but in the meantime from in 1992 I had started to play with the Belfast Harp Orchestra so I was working with Janet a lot for that too when you were playing Bright New Morning um, with Janet at the festival, I think you hadn't played it with her since the orchestra? Oh, yeah, for a long time, I'd say. Um, I was trying to think exactly when, but certainly like the orchestra initially was like from 92 to about 97, something like that. And then I had done a few tours with her since then, but even the last one of those would have been like probably, oh, maybe 17 years ago or something like that. So it was... Um, kind of amazing but funnily enough I find that like pieces like that that I played you know so diligently for that span of time like you don't actually forget them even though you might not have played them for a long time it still comes back to you when you start playing like your fingers just kind of remember it mm. so um but that was definitely the highlight of my festival last year was to, to play those few tunes with Janet it was fantastic Oh, that's beautiful. And and the video is up on the Somerset uh, YouTube yeah, page. Yeah. So that's that's a treat yeah. to see, um, especially yeah. like the smiles on your faces and the excitement of the audience. And yeah. I could, you know, hear people cheering at the end. It was yeah. really nice. <laughs> yeah, it was great fun. <laughs> oh, I had a little chat with Rachel Hare uh, yesterday, and she yeah. was talking about teaching on the Isle of Man. Um, and she said that you used to be the tutor on the Isle of Man before she got there. Uh, and she That's said, right, yeah, there's a harp player on the island called Charles Gard, and he had asked me um, to teach there when I was living in Belfast. So I used to fly over to the island um, every three or four weeks and stay there and teach. And there were actually a great bunch of, of kids. It was like a full day of teaching um, on the island. It was great. But then once I left Belfast, I went down to Limerick um, for a year, and it was much, much harder to get to the island man from there. And then once I moved back to Mayo, it was just like, you know, became a whole other trek to try to get there. So, so then I wasn't able to continue on after a while. But, um, but it was a great experience, and it, it's kind of. Um, I remember getting a, a tour once that all the sites for Waking Ned Divine had been filmed, and, and this kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, and so, when you're in Limerick, you were studying at the University of Limerick um, for your right. music um, education degree. Yeah, I was doing, um, uh, it's called a grad dip in music education. So it's actually a qualification for teaching in like a secondary school or the equivalent of a high school. But I, um, I did it at the time. It was really interesting because I learned a lot about teaching in general, even though I have never really used that qualification directly since. I, I haven't gone into teaching in a school. Um, but, you know, we learned so much about like different, like how people learn and the different kind of, um, learning modalities and this kind of stuff which is very interesting and I think it applies to any kind of teaching whether it's harp or any instrument um, you still know that there are like 
audio, like our, you know, visual learners and kinesthetic learners and so on. And it kind of, I think it definitely helped me, even though that wasn't why I did the course originally, but it has definitely helped me in my um, heart teaching in general. So what do you think makes a good, a good teacher and, or how have you grown as a teacher? Do you think? Um, I think, well, it's very different. Like teaching in Ireland, a lot of the classes that you would teach, like all my private students here, they're all children. And children start, you know, at much younger age. Like when I started at almost 15, I was, you know, old by Irish standards. And um, so teaching over here is very different to teaching, say, at festivals or workshops in the US, where we'll be mostly adults and a lot of people who might have come to the harp as adults. So um, when I started going to America on tour initially, it was a very different thing because um, if you're teaching like kids or teenagers, they don't necessarily want explanations or like they just, you kind of show them something and they'll just do it and they don't necessarily care about the technique or how exactly should I do it. Whereas um, when I started to teach groups of adults, especially people who weren't used to learning by ear, I found I had to start thinking a lot more about, well, what exactly is happening here and you know how to explain the structure of the tune and explain what I was doing in a very clear way um, and I think I really enjoy I enjoy both kind of aspects of teaching but it's often like when you're teaching groups of adults they often really have detailed questions and stuff they want to know about I love kind of helping people to like gain confidence in learning by ear because a lot of people say oh you know I can't do it. And of course, everybody can do it, but it's not necessarily easy initially. You have to, it's like any skill, you have to kind of practice it and build on it and also develop kind of strategies for doing that. So I really enjoy kind of um, talking about that kind of thing. And especially, you know, where you come back to the same group, you know, on over the years of touring, you know, I might do a workshop somewhere and then come back another year or two later and to see the progress you know, in terms of not just playing, but also people's ability to learn and their confidence in learning um, is great, you know. So it's, it's kind of, um, yeah, you have to just think about what you're doing. I think sometimes people can be very good players, but like if they find it, you know, often people have a problem that it mightn't have been your problem when you were learning that too. So you have to kind of put yourself into their position and try to visualize it from a different angle. So it's kind of, um, it's interesting. I think you're always learning something new every time you teach a workshop you learn something yourself you know to help you in the next kind of step of teaching yeah absolutely but yeah so learning by ear is is definitely something that um people do get challenged with and i know um with harper's escape you know kathy is very particular about not letting people see the music right away so because i think sometimes I, i you know you get stuck to the page and it's you know, and then what's written on the page is is not really how it's played or or the feel of it that you you want. So, but I definitely think that learning by ear is is a definite plus for a lot yeah. of people. Well, definitely for Irish music, like the the written notation of Irish music is only kind of an outline or a guide anyway, and it's never the kind of full performance even like even when I've done like books of arrangements myself it's still only like you know you could do it this way you could do it that way it's like one example of what you could do so I think obviously it depends on like I played classical music on piano for many years and you know 
you can't uh, like you have to play what's on the page you can't just decide you know to really like that chord there i'll just add in my own um so it, it is a totally different mindset and sometimes if people come from that classical background um they kind of panic when they're faced with all this freedom that you have in Irish music of learning by ear, I know I can see sometimes I'm doing a workshop and I say, no, oh, you could do it this way. And I say, oh, and you could do it this way. And I can just see people going like, just tell me what to do, you know. So um, in, it's, I think you have to get the balance between like telling people what to do so they have a piece that they can play at the end of the workshop, but then also kind of giving them ideas so that they realize, well, that's just one way of doing it. And hopefully, like what, what you're aiming for is really that you can just make up your own arrangements and so on. But that can be a long road. Like I, I still vividly remember the first time I kind of sat down and arranged the whole thing by myself. It was a hornpipe, the Taylor's twist. Actually, it's on that um, between the showers that you mentioned earlier. But like, I am not joking. It took me, well, a long time, like over a month. And I kind of keep coming back to it. And I'd still be like, oh, I don't like this. This is rubbish. And I, I think... A lot of people's problem too, like looking back, I'm not sure that the arrangement changed that much over the course of the month or six weeks, but people often come to me and they say, oh, help me to make a a more interesting arrangement. But actually, there's nothing wrong with the arrangement they had in the first place. If I had told them to do that exact thing, they'd probably think, oh, this is great. But just people don't always have the confidence if they've done it themselves. So um, it's like trying to, you know, get that balance. Also, all of us are like, say, we'd have particular patterns that we might use a lot in our arrangements. So I think all of us have to, at some point, say, okay, just push yourself. Say, I'm going to do something different here for myself. Mm. But um, it's kind of, it's an interesting thing to kind of just get different ideas. And sometimes learning other people's arrangements is great for that because it can give you um, ideas that you might not have thought of yourself. True. Yeah, that is, that is because I know um, I know a lot of people are like, well, how does Granny play it? Like, I, I, I don't want to like, <laughs> like, like how Granny plays. I want to, you know, and like come up with something different. And like, like you said, it's, you know, it's that whole challenge. But that's the nice thing of working with different teachers. So, you know, I've learned from, you know, everyone I've worked. So like Kathy's arrangements and your arrangements and, you know, um, and Maeve, you know, Gilchrist and her arrangements yeah. and total different approaches to you know, to thinking about the music, which is amazing. But like you said, you have to give yourself permission to to experiment with your arrangements. Yeah, when I was about maybe 18 or 19, I won a prize of some flights to Germany. And I was like, what am I going to do in Germany? You know, where will I go or what will I do? And so I started to research and I found a harp festival, which was in the south of Germany. And... Um, organized by a woman called Ushi Lar and um, this other Austrian harper that I had met at Janet's summer schools was also going to go. So I decided, okay, I'll go to this festival. And one of the instructors was Kim Robertson. And like, I, I didn't know Kim. I didn't know her playing before that. But I remember she did a concert and she played a slip jig. I think it was maybe like Rocky Road to Dublin or something like this. I, I'm not sure, but I was just like, this is a whole other world. Mm. I thought, this, you know, completely different approach. And so cool and you know so it was fantastic um to kind of hear these different approaches like there was also like Tyrolean harp and all just kind of different styles so it's fantastic it's not even that you can just be influenced by things from within your own tradition but you can just um everything you hear can be a new influence for it so that was really exciting to at that time I was just like you know 
thought this was amazing and still every time I hear her playing it's, it's like a whole different still Irish tunes mm. it's a totally different approach so um it's fantastic to hear such variety since it is O'Carolyn's 350th birthday coming up this yeah. year do you have any um favorite tunes of his yeah favorite Carolyn tunes I, I you know there's so many that I really like and um, but I think there's a few there's definitely some that are kind of the standards that everybody in Ireland knows and people should know like Eleanor Plunk for example Fanny Power, um, Planxty Irwin, there's always an argument whether people should play it in D or in G, at least at sessions over here anyway. So um, I know Cathy has all of these on the Carolyn Marathon list, so you can check what key she's put on there. Um, that was the first tune that Carolyn composed, or that's the story anyway. Um, Carolyn's concerto obviously is very, very famous. It's a lot more difficult than those other pieces I remembered. Uh, it's a lot more difficult than those other pieces I mentioned. Um, but yeah, there's just so many of them. And um, I think one of the really fun things um, when we were doing the Carolyn Marathon or um, at some of those festivals where we have that kind of Carolyn session is like, even though I have, like everybody has a kind of set group of Carolyn tunes that they play, but there's so many more, like and somebody else will suggest one. And, you know, so if you check out that list there on the, the website, that will definitely be a good place to start with all the kind of um, greatest hits. Excellent. Thank you. Um, so where, where can um, people find you if they want to, you know, find out more about you and get your music? And um, So they, I have a website, which is gronyahamley.com, and um, I have music my music books and cds are available there um, there are also more kind of individual pieces which are available to download are on heart column music um, so there's some tunes there that are just like one piece rather than like the whole book um, myself and um, billy jackson we have just recently finally set up a facebook page between us so that we have some way to kind of contact people all this kind of online stuff is just <laughs> it's, it's very time consuming but kind of has to be done so um yeah but basically through the website through kathy's website um also harpagency.com you can find us on any of those those places so yeah we have a couple of interesting things coming up as well we're hoping to do this summer apart from somerset online or as well as somerset online um myself and billy are going to be doing an online concert that's on the 23rd of may so you can kind of there'll be information on that on our website as well and on facebook um and also we are in the process of organizing some online harp camps or summer schools so that um, people who would like to have their own kind of tailor-made Park Camp Online can contact us about that and we'll try and um, customise it to fit people's, you know, what they're interested in learning and what time suit and everything like that. Um, I'm also planning to do one for advanced players and then another one for adults, kind of mixed levels. We'll hopefully incorporate some Irish and Scottish tunes into that one. So um, we have it, there'll be a good option, a good variety of things for people to choose from. So Hopefully you can um, stay tuned and I'll be getting that all up on the website soon. That's a fantastic idea. I'm sure you'll get a lot of people who love just having that, you know, more intimate kind of um, classes with you and, yeah. you know, being able to meet with you from all over the world. You know, I think that's just an amazing idea. That's that's wonderful. Well, yeah, over the past few years, like sometimes people have come like either 
well, some people have come individually or with their harping friends and they've come and kind of stayed nearby and come for classes over the course of the week. And I suppose this is just a way of trying to let people access that without actually physically having to travel to Ireland or in fact leave their house at all. Um, and where, you know, people have all different things that they want to focus on. Some people really want to learn about the Irish style, more people want to build repertoire. So I think this is a way that, um, you know, people have the option to really work on what they're interested in. Oh, it's fantastic. Um, so thank you so, so much for taking the time out to, to talk with me today. Like, I really, really appreciate you doing this. No and problem. it looks like it's a beautiful day where you are. Um, and I, I, I'm, you know, look forward to seeing you in the future, but I definitely look forward to everything that you're going to be doing for Somerset and, and your, um, your harp camp and, and everything. So, thank you, thank, thank you, you so much. So, thanks, Orion. Take oh, care. Thank, thank you. you. Thanks for listening to Moon Over the Trees Music and Theater Productions podcast. Dive into the show notes at moonoverthetrees.com. And if you enjoyed the show, please share it with a friend and subscribe to the podcast. Mm-hmm.